Nutters in the Christmas story, in the uh, drama of the birth narrative of Jesus, uh, which ones knew that this baby was from God? So which ones knew that this little baby born was from God? So just shout out, we have, there's lots of good answers. Mary and Joseph did, and how did they know? From the angel Gabriel? Which ones? Shepherds. Okay, the shepherds knew from the angel as well? The Magi knew from the star, somehow? Someone else, shout out to what? Simeon? And Anna. And Anna knew from prophecies, either, uh, as I said last week when we talked about Anna, we don't know for sure whether the prophecy given to her or whether she overheard Simeon's prophetic um, utterance, but she knew one or, from one way or the other. Anyone else? The angels knew, yeah. Oh, that's a given. Okay. Okay, he did. He did. Um, and he's the one I want to get to, but, but uh, before we get there, there's also Zechariah and Elizabeth. They knew as well, from, also from the But otherwise, uh, and there's only and then one more, and that's John. Even though he was, he was still in the womb, he got new because he left for joy. Right? Okay, so Herod. Now, uh, let, he, he knew that Jesus was from God. And how do we know that? Well, I'm going to read you the story. And I want you to listen to the story with that, with this question in mind about did Herod know? And you'll see, I think, that it's pretty clear that Herod did know that Jesus was from God. So this is Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent, to Beth, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. He arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled saying out of Egypt did I call my son. Then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi and he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environs from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream to Uh, in Egypt saying arise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead and he arose and took the child and his mother and came to the land of Israel okay well obviously um, if Herod had not believed that Jesus was from God he wouldn't have gone to these great lengths to try to eliminate him it was the very fact that he was from God that was troubling him and he, how did he get details? From the prophets, from the scriptures. So he obviously knew that, that this was the promised one, right? So uh, he didn't react in the same way as other, these others in the story did. <coughs> Excuse me. But rather he acted with fear and with um, hatred. <coughs> okay. Um, and of course, this is um, this is itself an important thing for us to learn lessons from, and uh, we will. That's I'm going to open it up for us to, like we did last time. You all did such a wonderful job last time; it was amazing. Um, you know the the lessons that were derived from our in our conversation from the story of Anna. And so we'll have that chance today with Herod. But there's another aspect of this story that I want to uh, draw out as well before we get to the lessons part. And that's the, uh, the question, why, I, I wanna, uh, why did God bring the Magi to Herod's palace? And I want to point out some things about that in the in the passage, um, it's a strange thing that that uh, this phrase, which is like over the top, excited, um, in verse ten, it says, "And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." I mean, there's like it's falling over itself to tell us how happy they were. Now this is a little peculiar because here they'd seen the star, they'd followed the star to 
to Jerusalem. Then they talk to the king and said, where, this is, where is this happening? And then they come back outside and they see the star. And all of a sudden they have this outburst of joy overseeing the star. Now, what's going on here? Why is, you know, why is their joy so great right then overseeing the star? Well, it seems to me that there had to be You know, they're heading in the direction, and not only that, but there's another detail. When they got out and saw the star and rejoiced, it, it led them right to Bethlehem where the baby was born. So if the star was going to lead them to Bethlehem where the baby was born, why did they need to ask Herod where the baby was going to be born? My, my theory based on this, is that the star disappeared. Maybe there's cloud cover, whatever, but the star, at, as the, when they got to Jerusalem, or near Jerusalem, the star was no longer visible. And so they're like, okay, well we're here, let's find out where the baby's supposed to be born. They went to Herod. And then when they came out and the star was there again, that's why they were so excited. To see the star because it was back. I don't know how to explain this strange statement of overwhelming joy if that isn't the case. Um, okay, so if that's the case, that means that God providentially led them to go to Herod's palace. Now, um, you know, obviously, no matter what happens, we can say that God providentially led you to do, led this to happen, right? But if indeed you're following a star and then it disappears and you look around and you, and you oh, let's go to here. Let me give you an example. Um, when we were newlyweds, I can't remember if this was uh, when uh, I, we may not even have been married. I can't remember, but we were a young couple, and um, so one day we were dri driving. Um, how can I tell? You? So I set up a, uh, a surprise party for Marianne. And uh, this is how it was pulled off. Um, I, she was in a meeting. No, we were both at a meeting at our church. And the phone rang and someone answered it and came in and said, Jack, it's for you, it's your mom. She broke down on the side of the road. She needs help. And so I talked to her and I, uh, I came back to the group and I said, I need to leave. My mom needs help because she broke down on the side of the road. This, of course, decades before cell phones. And, uh, and so I said to my uh, fiancé, she knows. I said to my fiancé, Marianne, um, I'll, I'm gonna, I have to go help my mom, so I'll, uh, I'll see you later. 
And she said, well, we came in the same car, so I, I better come with you. I said, great, then you come along with me. So we leave and we, uh, we go and, and I've got these instructions written down that I got from the phone and we are driving in this neighborhood and, uh, and we get to the point where it's like um, the, the directions don't make sense anymore. And I said, if there's only somebody around here who, you know, where we could, where we could call and... Uh, and she said, well, actually, this is, who, who was around it? Donna, Donna's mom? My, friend, my best friend's parents live right near here. Why don't we go there? I said, great idea. So we drove over to the, where is it? So we drove over there, stopped the house. She walks up to the house, opens the door. Surprise! Right? So... <laughs> You see how I set that up to be look like it was just all accident and coincidence, but of course it was all and arranged. And it's exactly what God seems to have done to get the wise men, the magi, to go to Herod's. Well, if that's the right interpretation, then why would God have done that? Look what happened. I mean, it ended up producing a tragedy. It ended up producing, you know, the, this ma- massacre, this ma- minor massacre of little children in Bethlehem. Because if Herod had never n- been wiser for knowing that the, these guys were even here, could for, assume, we assume that that would never have happened. So, here are the two things that I want us to reflect on. This one thing about how Herod knew that this was from God, but still was an enemy of it and hated it. And then the second thing is how God arranged for this to happen, even though it was going to bring about a catastrophe. So let me put those two things on the table and let's talk together about what lessons there are for us in our lives from this little story that we've read today and, uh, and and what God is telling us through it. Let's take them one at a time. David, which one do, were you going to talk about? The first or the second? The, uh... Uh, I don't remember which one. I kind of had more of a comment than a specific lesson. Okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say yeah, the, part, the, the fact that Herod knew that this was of God and he you know, did it anyway reminds me of Pharaoh. When God hardened his heart, I always thought that was a peculiar, you know, this guy's been beaten up all the place, he knows what's going on, and yet he still pursued. Um, right. So, I don't know, I don't know if there's a lesson there, or just. Yeah, so that's the first one. So, let's take the first one first and let David's comment get us started. Um, that connection is a very good connection. 
And, uh, and the fact is that, that God um, is opposed by those who are his enemies, and it doesn't matter how much they know and how clear it is that they're fighting against God. Man, it, some people will f- fight against the living God. In fact, some of the worst enemies of the Christian faith are the people that know the most about it and deep down know that it's true. Change situation, you know, and but the the idea that oh if every if they just understood, if they just if they just knew that he was real, you know, that's just so so off because it's it, over and over again you see these examples of it's not a matter of ignorance. Anything else on that first one? The uh, the notion that uh, even those who know that Jesus is from God often still oppose him and even sometimes more vehemently than those who don't. You know, Judas uh, committed suicide and, uh, and in some ways that was a mercy for the early church. Imagine if Judas was still around and how he as an insider could have bent things to make it look like this was uh, ill-founded. This was, you know, um, really a bad thing and, and full of corruption through lies and other things. It, it, he would have been a powerful influence because if you're an, if you... If you're an enemy of Christ, then anyone who has been an insider is an especially good friend if they've turned away because now they can tell you all the inside scoop and, and you can use them as a resource and, and point to them and say, they really know, they know the real inside story. Joel. Go against him. 
chance of defeating. There's no hope for you there. You know, there's no hope of defeating Jesus by, you know, misdirecting wisely and killing all the children, if you're thinking about it rationally. But he was following his nature. He couldn't just say, you know what, he's the king, you know, all bow down to him. It was, apart from a miracle, he was incapable of that. And so he just, the idea of people following their nature um, is represented in the story. And likewise, it's it's uh, the fact is that man really doesn't have the ability to change his nature, but but God does. He's the Lord of the heart, and and uh, so you see time and time again examples of God really changing a person by taking his heart of stone and giving him a heart of flesh. It doesn't change his personality, but it changes his. Orientation changes his his what he sees and what he loves, so that that and that changes everything. So you see, an apostle Paul, he had the same zeal as a believer as he did as a non-believer. He was a go-getter, and he was you know he was gonna. Be an influencer no matter where he stood, but God changed him and turned him into an influencer for Christ. Yes, Mary. Sure. Okay, well, let's move to the other one because this actually gives us a good segue. Um, because, you know, it's. Uh, it is difficult for us to ponder and, you know, accept God's sovereignty over things like, you know, a bunch of little babies being murdered. And to even ask, you know, even put that on the table is a is disturbing and um, um, and so you you either are left with a God who's not in control or you're left with a God who's cruel um, but there are many stories like this 
where it's pretty clear from the Bible that God allowed this to happen on purpose. Allowed this kind of thing to happen on purpose. You know, you think about the conquest of Canaan and all the babies and the little ones and the helpless ones who were killed in that process and the flood of Noah. You know, so it's not like this is the only time that this happened, this kind of thing happened. So what do we make of it? And, uh, and what specifically are we supposed to learn? Joel. right and he does have compassion and he understands the pain of it all but he also um, he also says that even though we grieve we don't grieve like the world grieves we don't grieve like those who have no hope that that uh, we don't ever one thing about Christians and I, I can see this more and more happening in our society is that we are a society that is becoming convinced that the ultimate human reality, the ultimate human dilemma, the ultimate human problem is pain. Instead of the ultimate human problem is rebellion against God, and rejection of God, and uh, turning away from God. And um, so, you know, God... God has, you know, in a situation like when your loved one dies, the reason that you don't grieve like those who have no hope is because you realize there's something bigger than the death of your loved one. And so, all through the Bible, when we read these Bible stories, you know, there's the tragedy part. It's very real. And we don't want to be people that make light of that. Except that we temper it by our knowledge that there's something even bigger than this. 
So why would God allow that this kind of thing in this particular situation? What was he after? Why did he ordain the slaughter of the innocents? By the way, um, if you want to think more about this, there's a... uh, John Piper has a little book. uh, I think it's called The Innkeeper. It's actually a long book-length poem about this story of the slaughter of the innocents. And it's fictionalized in the sense that basically... Jesus comes back as an adult to Bethlehem and speaks to the innkeeper about what happened. And, and so obviously, you know, the scriptures don't have anything about that, so that's what I mean, that it's fictionalized. But it's really powerful in terms of its providing perspective on this whole incident. And, it, and not that it gives answers to it all but David I think to give you guys a hint or nudge you in the right direction when David connected what Herod did with um, with Pharaoh I think that is the uh, the direction that leads us to understand why God allowed this particular incident to happen. David. very actually a parallel story and this is one of the one of the stories that has woken up many people to say wait wait a minute Jesus is a new Moses and this is one of the ways that we see that is that the birth is so similar that you know the the king is is a killing all the the generation of babies and Yet Moses gets accepted, E-X-C, accepted from the group and is spared, just like Moses, Moses and Jesus. Right. Would you agree with 
Yes, absolutely. That's, uh, that's one of the beauties of the Psalms. Is that it's not that the, the Psalms reflect a righteous heart in every case, crying out to God, but they show us, they give us um, a path of where to go with your questions, with your troubles, with your complaints, and, and how to bring them to God. And they give us permission to have these kind of feelings. And to articulate them, as long as we articulate them to God, instead of articulate them as we run away from God. So even like David didn't have, God, I would like to submit a Yeah, obviously that doesn't mean that God wants us to have those bad thoughts. But if we have them, He wants to hear us instead of have us say them to ourselves or or uh, say them as we're running away from Him. Part of bringing anything you bring to God is you're recognizing that He's God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. Okay, so, um, you know, when Pharaoh began to weaken and God hardened his heart, the reason why, it even tells us this in Exodus 9, 17, 16 or 17, and, which is actually quoted and, ref, and reflected on in Romans 9, 16 and 17, who just happen to have the same numbers. And, uh, but the whole concept there was that God was, had raised up Pharaoh to glorify himself to the world, to the nations, to history by this great victory that was going to take place at the Red Sea. And Pharaoh needed a little help because he was weakening and he wasn't going to get to the end zone. He wasn't going to make it all the way to the, to the Red Sea. And so God had to harden his heart and help him to have the, the strength to keep refusing the offer until the end so that God could indeed bring the, the, the tenth plague and the exodus to pass because that's the way that he was glorif- going to glorify himself and show that that he was that he loved his people that he was going to care for his people that he was going to go to bat for his people that he was going to be triumphant for his people and in the exact same way now with Jesus this is this is what's going on um, God wants to show that, that uh, he's going to stand up for his son. He's going to protect his son. There's no threat against his son. It, we don't see that. See? There has to be 
a danger. There has to be a threat. There has to be an attempt against the baby for him to step in and provide the protection, provide the, um, the power to overcome the threat. Now, of course, Jesus already knew this. This wasn't for Jesus' sake. Ultimately, it's for our sake because if Jesus is killed as a baby, then our salvation is also killed with him. This is the, you know, any time, all through history, any, any uh, time when our salvation was threatened, God intervened, like the days of Esther. They want to wipe out all the Jews. Well, if you wipe out all the Jews, you wipe out Jesus' ancestors. If you wipe out Jesus' ancestors, you wipe out Jesus. And you wipe out our salvation. And so God intervenes. And prevents the Jews from being wiped out. And so it is the same thing over and over again. And here in this story, it's God showing us that he's not going to let it happen. Even if there are people that want to take away our salvation and prevent our salvation, he's not going to let it happen. He's going to fight and intervene and overrule and make it happen that Jesus accomplishes our salvation that he secures our salvation and that in the end he's triumphant over all of our enemies now you may think well it's so sad that these little children had to die and think of all the grief that their parents had to experience and their loved ones and yes, and God has mysterious purposes for those things. He's, you know, people die every day, and tragedies occur every day, and, and people die of disease, and God is sovereign over all of it and lets it happen. And He's got His purposes, and He knows what He's doing in each and every case. It's not that He discarded the welfare of these children, it's not that He discarded the welfare of their loved ones, their parents, and their siblings. It's that he also knew those of them, at least were that belonged to him, that this was for their good too. And he, had, he arranged it just as he does, does for everybody's lives who love him and are his people and who have tragedies happen in their lives. You know, it's not a, a heartless, cruel God that we serve. But ultimately... You know, this is a story of love. We don't understand all the details. One day we will. That's one of the things that I think is going to be so thrilling about heaven is finding out all the details. You know, and finding out about the ways that these tragedies actually turn out to be a blessing for people that, you know, it just seems to us like it's all pure tragedy. But then we'll find out in heaven, you know, the stories of all the other ways that God was working in other people's lives instead of just in the story that we're told in the scriptures.
Heavenly Father, thank you for these uh, stories. Thank you for the, your word. Thank you that you are ruling over our lives for good, that we can trust you, that you will stop at nothing, O oh Lord, to accomplish our good and our salvation and bring us to your side in glory. Help us to walk in faith. Prepare us now to come before you and humble ourselves and rejoice in the precious gift of your son, Jesus. We pray in his name.